Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. That is James the Brain. John, we got the Super Bowl right around the corner, man. It's all about to be over. I am John. If you start me up, I'll never stop drafting quarterbacks. Hogue, misses the Super Flex Super Show. Now is actually the perfect way to intro this episode, James. Uh, because uh, we're we're titling this one "Beginnings and Endings." Uh, the the end of the NFL season comes this Sunday with the Super Bowl, and then uh, which brings essentially the beginning of the 2020 Dynasty uh, fantasy football season. So we're going to talk about startups. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about strategy um, in particular. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. The Super Bowl's coming up this Sunday. And uh, I feel like we at least need to address this. I, I guess my first question to you is, uh, I'm trying to decide, do, do we get right into the football part or do we get into, you know, the overall spectacle? Because there's a lot going on. Here, here's my question for you, I think. What is your favorite prop bet for the Super Bowl? Oh, that's a good one. Um you know, traditionally, I don't I don't fall in line with the coin toss. It's just so so random, you know. And and uh, the length of the uh, of um, the national anthem is always kind of fun, just because you know trying to guess the over or under on that's always always pretty neat. Um, so I kind of like that one, but uh, I haven't really looked at the at the the prop bets. But I always like the first touchdown. Who's going to score the first touchdown? And trying to guess and figure who's going to be that player. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's, it's a player that you wouldn't expect. It's not one of the top guys. So to me, that's always the most fun because, you know, you can kind of debate on that, on who it's going to be. There's a little bit of, little bit of skill and a lot of luck involved in that one. But, uh, but that's always been my favorite prop bet, John. What about you? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, the color of the liquid dumped on the coach, uh, the winning coach, that's always a good one. Oh yeah, that Um, is a good one. That, that one actually usually ends up being um, kind of the, you know, the, the color that you least expect. So uh, I think last year it was uh, it was it was like a, a like green, not even not even like the normal, you know, lemon lime Gatorade. It was like uh, this like bright green, like green apple or something like that. The year before it was purple. 
So like, you know, oh wow, it, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always it, it's always kind of a crapshoot. Um, yeah, some of those, like you said, I mean, the coin toss is is just super random. Uh, the uh, the the length of the national anthem, you can pretty much always just you know just bet the over. Um, they pretty much never come in under time on that thing. Um, I, I actually have been kind of over the years developing some of my own prop bets. Uh, I, I like to base them around the commercials a lot. Like, um, you know, what's going to be the first beer commercial? Um, you know, which, which, uh, 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 you know, what, what company is going to have like a talking baby in a commercial or something like that? Um, so, you know, some, something like that, or, or, uh, you know, what's the, what's the first animal commercial after the second quarter, uh, starts or something like that, you know? That's really neat. Yeah, no, yeah. I like that, man. I like being able to, to do something. And, and that's just it to me, you know, the in-game bets are the, the, you know, the ones like that where, you know, it's not over, you know, before the game even begins, like the coin toss or like the, uh, the anthem to me, those are the most fun, you know? Um, so I always like those prop bets. I always like the uh, the prop bets on how many times is you know are the announcers going to say this word you know championship or whatever, and and then you have to kind of count. That's always fun for me because normally when I'm watching the Super Bowl, I'm I'm having a few drinks, you know, having a good time, and uh, and sometimes I'll lose count. And so you know, uh, I'm I'm kind of guessing sometimes at that. You know, did they say it again? Did they say it? Did they show? Did the camera guy show? Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes' mom again in the stands or or what have you so uh yeah those are always fun too for me because those uh kind of give you something else to watch for if the game isn't so great yeah yeah definitely um yeah it kind of and and i I don't know at this point in the season i've seen so much damn football that in in the super bowl you know sometimes it ends up being good football it the last decade or so we've actually had some uh, you know, the last like 15, 20 years, in fact, we've we've actually had some pretty good Super Bowls. But I mean, last year's was dreadful. My God, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a hard watch. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the year before, obviously, that was that was a good game throughout, um, you know, with the, the Eagles and the, the Patriots just kind of trading touchdowns. Um, yeah, so so let me ask you a question, John, because this yeah. just popped into my head. It almost seems to me last year I thought the the commercials were actually pretty good. Maybe maybe I'm alone in that, but I thought that was the first year in a little bit that the commercials were actually pretty good. I enjoyed some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like when we get a good game, the commercials aren't as good, and when we get a bad game, the commercials are actually a little bit more entertaining. So um, if oh, that's man. the case, man, I, I I'm okay with a blowout game because I really enjoy the good commercials during the Super Bowl. So, yeah. Yeah, I do too. I that that that's kind of what I'm driving at. I actually I tend to like the commercials more than the actual game. Um at least until, you know, kind of late in the game, it usually gets interesting and I'm and I'm really into the football and I don't want them to go to commercial anymore, but early on when they're just kind of feeling each other out and um, you know, kind of there's a lot of punting, a lot of field goals, not a not a whole lot of great offense yet. Um, the the commercials are are easily the most entertaining part, and I actually generally like the halftime show. There was a tweet today about um, you know if it, if the NFL were to replace the 
you know, the concert at halftime of the Super Bowl, what should it be replaced with? And, you know, it, it kind of amounted to a lot of, um, it's, you know, more football, essentially. And, uh, you know, some of the ideas included, you know, the two worst teams uh, play against each other. So who would, it's uh, it would be Washington and Cincinnati. They would play each other for the number one overall pick in the rookie draft. Um, I I don't wait I, wait at halftime <laughs> though, like yeah, like, yeah like so, the 30, 40 minutes that you have at halftime. <laughs> that's what they're well. They so the the suggestion was just one quarter, like with overtime rules. So you know you still have the potential for sudden death, essentially. Um, you know, so I mean, it, it could be twenty seconds of football. It could be, um, it could be up to fifteen minutes of football. So, you know, it's I, I, I think that, you know, if you did that, it would fit. It's just, man, I'm, I, I just watched, you know, I, I just watched 30 minutes of uh, the Chiefs in the, in the 49ers, the two best teams in the league. And I'm going to see another 30 minutes of that. But sandwiched in between, I have to watch the freaking it, the, the Bengals and, and Washington again. I have really no desire to to do that. Um, but I mean, I thought it was an interesting idea. There was another one, uh, that where they actually start the NFL draft, do the first 10 picks of the NFL draft at halftime of the Super Bowl. Uh, That was kind of cool. Oh Um, no, no. As someone, someone who is going to the NFL draft this year and plans on going next (laughs) year too, with it being in Cleveland. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want that. I I want, I want to be able to see Cleveland's pick live there. So, um, since I have the 10th pick, I I would have to decline this year (laughs) on on that being an option, but, uh, but no, that, that is a fun idea. Uh, I, I like that idea a whole lot better than just playing a game, um, at halftime for, you know, the number one overall pick. I mean, that sounds like something, out of the XFL rule book or something, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We might as well just, you know, say in the second half that you can designate a player that on the bench that, uh, you know, one play during the, the second half, they could just run on the field and make an interception or whatever. Like, you know, like you might as well just have like some craziness, randomness like that. If you're going to do stuff, uh, do stuff like that. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on board with, uh, with that much crazy uh, a game for the number one overall pick at halftime of the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, another another one was, hey, we could just play a football game with all the the NFL mascots, and I was just like, these are just getting worse now, guys. Like that's one they they already do that a lot of time. I mean, it's not all of the NFL mascots, but like they'll they'll you know they'll bring out some some local mascots and they'll bring in some like I, I I've seen this at Bronco games anyways, where there's like a couple of the, uh, a couple mascots from around the NFL. There's the, you know, the Denver nuggets mascot is there playing and, and just like some other random, like giant Muppets that they found to go out and just play a game, a pointless game of football. Uh, like they'll, they'll get the toothbrush that runs the, the race against the, you know, yeah, the, the toothpaste that, and, and that, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking that's what they should do here in Milwaukee. The the Brewers have a big thing where it's different types of Johnsonville sausages that race <laughs> each other at the game. And you know, if you're sitting in the 
you know, the brat section and the brat wins, then, you know, you, you win a, a free soda or some, something. I don't even know. But it, it, that's, that's essentially what, what we're talking about here. You might as well just get, like, you know, all the mascots for all the NFL teams, and they can all, like, I don't know, do the combine. You know, they can all do the 40, and whoever has the quickest 40, you know, that fan base wins a free soda that's at the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. Yeah. But that, to me, sounds a little bit more reasonable uh, even <laughs> than uh, – I, I don't know. Let's let's just stick with the concerts. What do you say? That's that's my plan. Yeah, I actually I generally like the music. Uh, every now and then they'll they'll throw out a dud, but for the most part, um, it's always been really good music, really good uh, choreography. You know, all of it is it, to me. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, so I say just stick with that. It's it's one of my favorite parts. And then you know. If, my wife doesn't watch football, but you know, the Super Bowl is just such a spectacle. Everybody watches it. Even if you don't like football, you're there for it. But you know, the prop bets, um, I come up with a, a whole sheet. I, I mean, it's actually several pages of prop bets for everybody to fill out before the game starts. And then, you know, everybody's watching the prop bets. Everybody's, you know, into the the commercials. Every, everybody's into the halftime show. And, uh, uh, you know, the, it's, it's kind of me and the other, the other hardcore, you know, the, the big uglies who, uh, who are really into football will actually watch the game. But I mean, even for me, honestly, at this point in the season, um, I, I still prefer the, the commercials in the halftime concert to the actual game. Yeah, cool. And that's and that that makes sense. Have have you I gotta ask, because to me, this was one of the coolest Super Bowls that I've done, and I know other people have done it even for regular games, but um have you ever considered taking those prop bets and turning it into bingo cards and handing those out and seeing who who wins at bingo? So for instance, um if one of the prop bets is uh, you know, um how many times does, you know, so-and-so say something or whatever? How, how many times do the commentators bring up, uh, you know, Andy Reid or show Andy Reid on screen and it's like five times? Um, on the bingo card, you could have, you know, um, showed Andy Reid five times. And then once once you get that, you know, you have that, that square unlocked. Anything like that? Oh, I've never even heard of that. I'd love that, though. I'm gonna have to do that this year. I really yeah, like that. yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah, the bingo cards are are, are pretty neat, um, and I've I've seen those at a couple Super Bowl parties I've been to, and uh, and those are always fun. But uh, but all right, John. So we talked Super Bowl, right? I, I mean, we we know we got the big game, but let's get into our startup stuff here. What do you say, man? I am looking forward to talking about the all the different ways that you can do a startup and the different strategies and the pros and cons for it. What do you think? Yeah, we better get to it. Uh, just one last word for those prop bets, because I mean, I think that we we gave out some kind of cool ideas here that people, you know, might want to jump onto. So um, if you if you're interested in some some prop bets, uh, some custom made um, prop bets, uh, DM me on Twitter at Superflex Dude, and I'll uh, I'll send you what I've got. So, um, but yeah, let's let's. Let's get into this part of it uh, because, yeah, I mean, at the same time, people are already starting to do some of their startup drafts. I, I've somehow managed to hold off for the time being, but man, have I got the itch, James. And that's even with, you know, every single month doing, you know, four DLF startup mocks. 
uh, to create that ADP that's now available. The January 2020 ADP, by the way, is available at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. So check that out. Um, and then uh, th- I, I also have the same article that I wrote last month. That one's co- forthcoming as well. And that's uh, going to be the same mock drafts, but it's actually going to include uh, 2020 rookie picks. So the, the DLF ADP doesn't have that, uh, but um, I'll have an article that, that does have those rookie picks included. Um, so they look exactly like your startups are going to look right now. But even nice. With that, yeah. Yeah. To me, it's a great resource. It's it, because, again, this is exactly what a super flex startup looks like right now. In most cases, I mean, in some cases, there's, you know, the the league kind of finds an arbitrary way to hand out the rookie picks. I just like this so much better. The startup, you know, when it has the rookie picks involved and you can actually draft those rookie picks, if it's a snake draft, you can actually buy them if it's an auction. It just it just adds so much value throughout that player pool. You know, and it makes there are going to be people who are going to go heavy after those rookie picks and go for a young, you know, a young roster, kind of a productive struggle approach, um, which is something that we can talk about on this episode if we have time to get to it. But absolutely, you know, um, it, it just gives you more more options, more, you know, potential like viable strategies. So. To me, that's the way to do it for the commissioners out there. If you're going to, uh, it, you know, if you're going to do a startup, um, just, you know, now ahead of the NFL draft, just include those rookie picks in the in the startup. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And then once you do go over to, to uh, DynastyLeagueFootball.com, check out that article I wrote so you can see the ADP with those rookie picks included but yeah I, I i do those mock drafts and i just i i still I, I mean it's just not the same thing i'm just itching to do startups and i'm it's taking all the willpower i have to hold off on on you know starting my own league or 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 accepting one of the imitations to a to a new startup league um but you know, we every, so many people are, are kind of there. I mean, they're, they're not maxed out the way I am. I, I have too many leagues as it is. So for those who are kind of looking to add some leagues, and particularly Superflex leagues, the startups have already started. You know, there's there are startups going on right now. So we wanted to talk about some startup strategies. And... um you know, we're, we're, we obviously, we, we have our own preferred methods. We have our own preferred strategies and we're certainly going to uh, advocate for those strategies more than the other ones. But since we don't have representation for the other side, we're going to do our best here to, you know, present some pros um, and cons really for every strategy involved. So, Let's get into that, James. Let's let's start with, uh, le- I mean, let's just start at the quarterback position. I, you know, let's just start with, um, you know, your approach to the quarterback position in a startup snake draft. John and I have to give you credit because you have really shaped the way I approach these drafts at this point. And previously, I had I had done quarterback as. 
I want to make sure that I get two solid options. And then after that, if I have, you know, a guy or two that could fill in on a bye week, I'm okay with it. Uh, my, my tune has changed drastically with that through experience and through the way I've built my rosters. And what I want to do now, honestly, I want four quarterbacks in the first nine, 10 rounds. You know, um, I want five total quarterbacks. I want them all to be starters and I want a couple high end options. And then the other, you know, few options that um, I feel good about, um, you know, that, that might be, might be had a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, I want four or five quarterbacks in the first, I don't know, four in the first 10 rounds, maybe five in the first 12, something like that. Um, and the reason being, John, is because, like you've stated several times, quarterback is never cheaper than it is in a startup draft. And it's, it's completely true. If you have quarterback issues and you're trying to get a quarterback, sure, you can go to the waiver wire and get somebody's backup. But let's say, you know, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, you're going to pick up Matt Moore. You're not getting from Matt Moore what you were going to be getting for Patrick Mahomes, not even close. If you're a contending team and you need help at the quarterback position and a waiver wire option just isn't going to cut it, you are going to have to, to make a trade. And the trade market, hey, who, who's going to give up a quarterback? Probably the only guy who's got five or six starters is going to be the guy in a position that could give up a quarterback and you can charge a premium for it because there's nowhere else they can go. There's no other options for the most part. So uh, to me, loading up on the quarterback position is smart. Uh, it, it will help you in the long run. It'll help you get through injuries, get through bye weeks. You'll never have to worry about that when you have many viable options. And B, if you have too many viable options, you can always move that quarterback for a premium. So to me, that's the way I like to approach this. Now, John, I think you're uh, I think you're pretty much the same as I am, um, but I'm going to give you a chance to respond and let me know how you would approach the quarterback position. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, you know, uh, we had a, a little bit of an opportunity to talk about this on Twitter today. Um, it was uh, uh, Paul Becerra um, was, uh, had kind of tweeted out, you know, what's, what's your approach to it. And, and he said that, you know, his, his approach is zero QB. And, uh, you know, I think that we can actually, we can discuss that a little bit, uh, here in a second, but, um, you know, I'm, I definitely reiterated and, and it's kind of what you just said, you know, it's, it's just the, it's the scarcity of the position. Once you get out of the, your, your startup draft, and you know it's it, it's feels so easy in the first round to you know to just take a running back because those those look scarce you know in the first round when nobody's really been taken you know you see McCaffrey and you see Barkley and you see Zeke and you know Kamara and and Dalvin Cook um, you know and, and for a lot of people that's kind of the that's the tear break right there which you know, what did I name? Five guys, five running backs there. Mm -hmm. And, and then you see the entire pool of quarterbacks and you feel like, well, I, you know, the obvious move here is to take a running back and there's still plenty of quarterbacks available. The problem with that is, you know, the, the, even though that, that tier of running backs, you know, even though that's fairly scarce, there are so many running backs throughout your draft who are going to be viable for you. You know, Austin Eckler was the running back four in PPR leagues, and now he gets Melvin Gordon out of the way. So, 
you know, anybody who took Austin Eckler, like at the very end of their draft uh, last year, um, you know, you, you ended up starting him most of the year. And now going into 2020, you've got a high end RB one all of a sudden, you know, particularly in PPR leagues. And, that, mm-hmm. and and real quick, I, I do want to I, I do just want to bring up. I know people are probably yeah. shouting right now at us, uh, you know, hey, you still have to identify that player. It's not like, you know, that was an easy thing to do last year. And I think once we get to our running back strategy or at least my running back strategy, um, I'll definitely address uh, how to increase the likelihood of hitting on one of those guys. So uh, we, we will get to that when we move to running backs. Nice. I I. Yeah, I'm actually eagerly awaiting that because it is tough. I, I admittedly, um, mm-hmm. and in fact, you know, part of my approach to running backs is just taking so many of them, so um, to make sure that I find that guy. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, not not to go too far into that just yet. But the point being, I mean, you you just you know, you're going to be taking running backs throughout your drafts. Like there are definitely points where those running draft those running backs are really kind of the most uh, the most valuable position, like if you're going just BPA throughout a, throughout your draft, you know, not worrying about position and need or anything like that, it gets to a point where it's nothing but running back. Like they're legitimately the best players available, um, you know, in the back half of your draft. So, you know, you're going to get your running backs. You're not necessarily going to get that elite tier, um, at least not right now. They don't look like elite tier guys, but um, you know, that they, they have every opportunity to get there for one thing. Uh, you know, Austin, again, Austin Eckler made it. Boston Scott is to me is this year's, uh, Austin Eckler. Um, so, you know, I, there, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to take running backs. What you're not going to have an opportunity to take is the quarterback position because it, once people start taking those, they dry up so fast and we see massive runs on them. So, you know, a big part of why I advocate for a quarterback in the first round is just the fact that, you know, first of all, you get that elite level quarterback, you get Mahomes, you get Watson, you know, if you feel like Lamar Jackson is, is kind of in that conversation, you know, you can take him. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not as comfortable with him as, as, you know, those two guys plus Russell Wilson. I, I have those three guys ranked ahead of Lamar and I kind of, I, I stand by that. I, it just feels more sustainable with those guys. But, you know, regardless, if you take a quarterback with that first pick, then, you know, when everybody else starts swarming the quarterbacks, you're able to, you know, stay, stay the course, taking the running backs and, and wide receivers and tight ends, because you don't have to fight over those scraps at quarterback because you already have your quarterbacks on roster. So, yeah. so that's my reasoning for going quarterback early. Um, and then, like you said, I mean, quarterback heavy, partly because of the scarcity, where, where are you going to find a quarterback once your startup is over? They're all going to be on rosters. You know, like you said, there, there are going to be some guys who pop up on waivers here and there. And But again, you're going to have to fight with your entire league to get those guys if you don't have quarterback depth. So, you know, if you, if, if you just get it out of the way in the startup draft, just bite the bullet and load up on those guys, even though it's, it doesn't feel, 
you know, is valuable to have them on your roster right at that moment, that value is going to, it's really going to rise. You're, you're going to feel the value. And here's an example. So you take Christian McCaffrey with your first overall pick. I take Pat Mahomes with my first overall pick. And from there, we just kind of run a, a, you know, a fairly standard super flex draft where, um, you know, well, let's just say that I end up with three quarterbacks and you only end up with two. And one of them's Derek Carr. And then, you know, we find out that Derek Carr is not going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He gets replaced in, in uh, Sin City by, you know, let's just say Tom Brady, just for argument's sake. Tom Brady becomes the new starting quarterback of the Raiders. Now you're down to one quarterback. And you're going to come to me and ask me for, you know, for Pat Mahomes. I'm, I can reasonably ask for Christian McCaffrey plus. You took McCaffrey over Mahomes, but now it costs McCaffrey plus because you have no other place to find a quarterback. So, you know, the, that's, that's the type of value boost that these quarterbacks get after the startup. That's why we always say, they're never cheaper than they are in a startup. It's because they're, that's the one time that they're actually available. Mm-hmm. And, and let's take a look at this too real quick. I, you could realistically, and I know that you could because I, I actually did this in a league. You could realistically have drafted and had Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson as your two quarterbacks in a super flex league. Who do you think that you could legitimately have had at running back that you could have drafted in a startup two guys that could compete with that. I mean, you weren't getting, uh, you know, McCaffrey and Barkley. I mean, legitimately, you're not getting those. Those guys were both first round picks. You know, you're not going to get those guys. So who could you have gotten McCaffrey and, you know, legitimately, I don't see how even McCaffrey and Derrick Henry, you know, I mean, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are going to outscore those guys. Uh, so to me, the upside of getting nailing that quarterback position is so high uh, that that, you know, to me, it, it just shows how important it is, too, because the scoring. I mean, they just score more points than other players do. So uh, that's it's kind of kind of another reason on why. And, you know, if you're if you're rewarded for total points or if you have a, a backdoor into a playoff spot, if head to head's not working out with total points again, quarterbacks are going to help you with that, too. So. Um, just one more kind of seed I wanted to plant in everyone's ears so they kind of understand also another benefit of grabbing uh, quarterbacks uh, early and often. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree there too. And uh, yeah, I, it, the kind of, yeah, that's kind of the, the you know, I I, uh, I tweeted a while back the Superflex theorem, which is that, you know, the uh, quarterbacks essentially get a two round boost in value once the startup is over. Um, I, you know, I keep seeing this play out where, you know, a, a quarterback drafted in the fourth round is going, you know, then you draft him in the fourth round and then you trade him for a, a second round, you know, running back or wide receiver that I, I that pretty consistently happens. Um, that's the type of value that they hold. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. it just a trade value. Um, the other reason to, to load up on quarter, to take so many quarterbacks is, 
not only for the trade value, but for the ability to trade. So to me, um, you know, you, Utah, I think you mentioned four or five quarterbacks is kind of, kind of your goal. Um, and that's essentially mine too. I, but I will say that to me, four is the minimum. If you have four quarterbacks in a dynasty league, that guarantees that you're going to keep a quarterback at the super flex position at all times, which is crucial. Um, you know, we, we just know how much more quarterbacks score than, uh, than any other position. It's just kind of across the board. Um, but last week, you know, I talked to Jordan McNamara and he actually went through and and figured out, you know, how much more valuable are quarterbacks in terms of fantasy wins. Like he didn't even go by fantasy points. He went by fantasy wins. And if you don't have a quarterback at the super flex position, you you better have a, a top 12 running back, essentially, is what it would have took in in 20. Uh, I think he went, he was going off of 2018 and it was actually even worse. It was actually even harder than that. Like the discrepancy was even greater between quarterbacks and running backs in 2019, but uh, his data was off of 2018 and it essentially said, you know, you have to have a uh, a top 12 running back at super flex, meaning you have to have you know, both of your starting running backs spots filled with top 12 running backs, then all of your regular flex positions filled with top 12 running backs. Then your super flex position has yet another top 12 running back. So we're talking like four or five top 12 running backs that you somehow have to have on your roster in order to make up for the fact that you don't have, you know, a top 24 quarterback to put a super flex. Wow. Yeah. Now, now let's, let's John, let's look at the other side of the coin here. Cause we, we, uh, we definitely made our point on why we appreciate, uh, drafting quarterbacks early and often. However, um, you know, and I'm, I'm going to shout out a good friend of the podcast, JJ Zacharies, and we've had on, uh, at, uh, uh, late round QB. Um, but he, uh, he, he has provided a bunch of information on how, you can get quarterback production later in your drafts. And so you don't have to reach early, you know, even in Superflex, you can find value later in the draft if you if you kind of know what you're looking for. So there is a theory that, you know, you can load up on, on running backs, wide receivers, wait at quarterback, and you can get those quarterbacks. Now, again, there's no one way that is going to gonna be right or wrong as far as you know, you, you can build a, a championship roster any 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 way, any philosophy, any drafting philosophy, really. I mean, unless you're drafting all kickers and defenses, if, if you're willing to use those or if they don't, you know, that's even worse. But uh, but no, I mean, you can you can do that. I mean, there there is a, a you know, there is a black print, a, a blueprint out there for you to be able to win a league by doing that and by waiting on quarterback. The problem is, is that it becomes very difficult to try to uh, to try to try to nab these guys and to uh, uh, to try to to try to I don't know pinpoint which quarterbacks those are going to be uh, so that that becomes difficult. However, um, again, there's a lot of a lot of data that state that you can do that. That you know if if you know there are certain things that you can look for and certain certain statistical outliers that will show you kind of 
who's trending in that direction. And, uh, you know, if you use ADP information, you know where you can get these guys and, uh, and, and then you can, you know, know where to target certain players, certain quarterbacks, and you can wait on the position. So while, while I, John, while you and I both prefer to go quarterback early and often, there is definitely a, uh, you know, some data out there and research being done that says, Hey, wait a minute, you don't have to grab quarterback early and often. There is a way for you to wait on quarterback. I think it's more difficult. However, there's a lot of people who swear by it, that that's the way to do it. So um, there's definitely an argument to be made that you can wait on quarterback and still have a, a build a, a championship roster. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I think that it, that it is legit. I mean, the tough part with it is the fact that, you're fighting with everybody over that same that group of quarterbacks, and, and and honestly, they're not that great at quarterbacks. Like you're you're you know you're trying to trade up in your draft to get Mitchell Trubisky, for instance, who might not even be the starter in Chicago uh, in 2020. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of the the downside to that part of it uh, to that strategy. But I will say, I mean, if you get it right, and especially if you're um, if you're willing to go quarterback heavy late in a draft, this it, it, it still can work. Um, and, you know, a big part of this. So, you know, I, I used the stat today um, talking about the power of quarterbacks versus running backs. I pointed out that, you know, quarterback 23, Andy Dalton, who obviously missed three games where they, you know, they, when they gave Ryan Finley uh, the chance to be the starter. Uh, he still scored almost as many, it, basically as many fantasy points as RB9 overall, Joe Mixon. Um, it, Joe Mixon played the entire season. Now, you know, he 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 didn't have the greatest start, but um, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, uh, on as far as total production, anytime Andy Dalton was on the field, he was, you know, he was going to be better than Joe Mixon. And this is like this is a, a very basic concept. It's the fact that Andy Dalton starts every single play with the ball in his hand. You know, Joe Mixon doesn't necessarily he he'll get the ball, you know, maybe 20 times in a game. But Andy Dalton's going to touch the ball somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 times every single game. So, you know, quarterback 23 overall, he ended up essentially scoring the exact same as Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon scored two more fantasy points in 15 games than Andy Dalton scored in 12 games. So in two fantasy points over the course of 15 games, we're just calling that a wash. So, but what that does tell us, you know, besides the fact that it tells us that, you know, quarterbacks are just better than running backs at scoring fantasy points, regardless of your format. It also tells us that quarterbacks, the quarterback position is really pretty deep. You know, there were 24 guys who were more viable than Joe Mixon is, is essentially what this amounts to. So it, it, it kind of doesn't matter. You don't have to have Pat Mahomes, you know, to, to or, or I mean, you kind of had to have Lamar Jackson this year, but you didn't have to have Pat Mahomes. You didn't have to have Dak Prescott. You didn't have to have those guys in order to be able to compete. You just had to have, you know, NFL starting quarterbacks. So, you know, if you're still willing to go somewhat heavy at quarterback, 
yeah, you can absolutely do it. You know, it, it just it, it can work out that way. I mean, and you can build a roster of juggernauts at every other position and 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 be good there. But I mean, you can't miss at any, any other position. You got to hit on mo- most, if not all of those, because you're going to be relying on making up points at the quarterback position through other positions. So, I mean, it can be done. Uh, it certainly can. It's just, you know, it's a matter of, you know, you, you, it's just a different philosophy and it's not one that I feel comfortable employing, but I, I, you know, other people have done it and other people have had success, John. So um, something for us to acknowledge, but let's, let's move on. If you don't mind to the running back position, because I'm really interested in your, how, how you would draft running backs. What is your running back strategy in most drafts? Man, you're so much better at pushing the pace than I am. <laughs> but um, so my personal, well, and, and I, we've kind of been talking about this over the last two weeks. So I, I'm, I can advocate for both zero RB and for RB heavy. Um, so I, you know, and, and I'll, I'll try and do both fairly briefly here and then, and then get your opinion, get your thoughts on both of these. So, so the idea for zero RB is, you know, it, which by the way, doesn't mean you're not taking running backs at all. It just means you're pushing that position off until later in the draft. Um, just because, you know, you, 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 like we said earlier, there's value at running back throughout your draft. So the idea here is, um, you know, you, this is more of a long-term approach. You're loading up on quarterbacks because, you know, they have typically a, a, a projected uh, career expectancy of, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years, um, typically, uh, you know, especially the guys that you get earlier in, in your startup draft. Those are the guys who are going to last, you know, um, they're, they're going to have a starting job in the NFL well into their thirties. Uh, the, the wide receivers are, are close to that. I mean, they typically last till somewhere around, you know, 32, 33, something like that. So you load up on wide receivers as well, particularly if you can get the younger guys. And, um, you know, so you start off with those guys, with those two positions, go heavy there, and then you start filling it in with running backs because running backs are only going to give you, you know, a, a their career expectancy is generally a little over three years. Um, usually by the time they get to around 25, 26, 27, and essentially when they get to the end of their, their rookie contract is kind of, you know, by then they're, you know, we've kind of run them into the ground and you're not going to see them, um, much anymore. Plus anytime you get a running back, a top five running back season out of any of these guys, they're very unlikely to repeat that. So essentially you want to um, just fade the position, you know, create your foundation with the wide receivers and quarterbacks and then build running backs on top of that later. And then you can also do it through the rookie drafts uh, in subsequent seasons because your quarterbacks and wide receivers are still going to be there. They're still going to be strong um, by the time you get to, you know, your second year, get to the rookie draft, and then you load up on rookie running backs and, everything's just kind of going to mesh together as far as career arcs go. The other, the other way to go about this though, 
and you know this is a very short-term approach but go ahead and load up on running backs because they they have the most trade value uh i mean quarterbacks still have more trade value but running backs do end up carrying a ton of trade value we're a long ways away here from having to set lineups so you can really kind of you can trade those running backs for whatever positions you need to fill you know you can get a, a high-end wide receiver one plus something um, plus some running back depth uh, for you know for your your running back one regardless of who it is um you know so and not only that i mean the running backs are going to help you win in year one they're just going to put you in a position where you're you're rebuilding by year two or year three um but i mean it it is possible to go through you know load up on running backs go win your title and then tear it down and start over that it's absolutely valid and, and it works so. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both those strategies. I think I'm imploring one or the other. And if I'm going quarterback early and often, I'm probably waiting on running backs. And what I'm doing to increase my chances of hitting on that guy is I'm loading up on running backs. I mean, I'm taking seven or eight running backs. I'm going to load up late in the draft on running backs, and I'm going to increase my chance. Again, I only need maybe one or two of these guys to hit. So if, if I'm going later and I'm loading up on eight running backs and I'm taking six after the 10th the round, you know, if, if one of those guys hit, man, I'm golden because, you know, I, I, I can load up on those guys and just hope, just need one or two of those guys to hit. So, I, again, if I'm, if I'm going quarterback heavy, I'm normally waiting on running backs and I'm just taking flyers on guys. And normally it's young upside guys, guys with um, – PPR upside guys who may not have a clear role to playing time, but I believe in their talent. Someone like that um, is a guy that, that I would take. So, uh, you know, Hey, Boston Scott, you named it, you nailed it. There's a guy who I don't know if he has a clear path to playing time, but that's, what's keeping his ADP down. I believe in his talent. That would be a guy that I would, I would target later in draft. So um, there, there are lots of guys like that. So if I'm going to wait on running back, that's going to be my strategy that I'm going to implore. However, if I decide, hey, look, I'm going to wait on quarterbacks this time, I'm loading up on running backs. I'm going running back heavy, and the reason being is because, and, and we'll get into receiver a little bit more after this, but receivers are getting easier and easier to find later in drafts. Uh, that that production of a high-end receiver is becoming more and more replaceable just because there's more and more guys that are putting up uh, very similar numbers, um, you know, wide receiver two type numbers that you can get later in drafts. So for me, if I'm if I'm punting on quarterback and, you know, I'm going to wait a little bit on quarterback, maybe not punting, but waiting a little bit on quarterback, um, then I, I, I think I can get receivers later in the draft that can help me win. I'm probably holding up on running backs and my tight end strategy is, you know, I'm, I'm spoiler alert. Uh, my tight end strategy is I'm I will wait on tight end. I don't think it's that important of a position unless the tight end premium is significant. Um, but, you know, for me, then I would be loading up on running backs and I would still be looking for younger guys. I, to me, the, the position is all about youth. Once they hit five, six years, I'm not interested. And, and so I mean, young, young, you know, um, 
guys I'd be looking at this year uh, would include, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, all those guys, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, th those types of guys. But, um, you know, I'm staying away from guys like Zeke because uh, they're, he's starting to get up there a little bit in the mileage. So um, Todd Gurley, guys like that, I'm, I'm going to avoid. Um, but a lot of the younger guys with that high upside that I see, a guy you mentioned, Joe Mixon, um, still a younger guy that I think I can get two or three years out of. And, uh, and yeah, then, uh, you know, I can look at replacing them later down the road. But I don't think middle of the ground is uh, middle of the road is where I'm going to go with running back. I'm not just going to uh, maybe I'll take one here and maybe I'll take one in the fifth round if if one looks decent. Like I I, I want to have a strategy either I'm going to go pretty heavy with them or I'm going to go um, you know I'm going to wait uh, a, a good deal on them. So uh, that's kind of my strategy as far as running backs go, one or the other. Uh, is there a certain is there a certain method that you like to do with wide receiver? I kind of already shared mine, and so I'll just kind of go into it. Mine for me, I, I'm starting to see wide receivers become more and more prevalent as far as guys who are putting up similar numbers go. I'm okay with loading up on three, four, you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three types, um, because I think you're going to get similar production from those guys. Um, I, I, I like guys who are entering their second, third year, and I also like stacks. I think you and I have talked previously about uh, some offenses that we expect to take um, some nice turns. And those are the guys that I want to target because if I can get good production out of them year one, if I don't believe in them come year two, I can deal them for a premium. So uh, for instance, we've talked about, you know, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland could be a stack. Guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham could be had cheaper than uh, than they have been in the past. The Rams are another team. I think we we both expect uh, some some uh, some positive regression. So um, seeing guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks go later, you know, might be guys to target. And then Denver, you know, um, Cortland Sutton is a guy who I'm very high on. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a guy that might be pushed down a little bit in drafts. So, I mean, there, there are guys that, uh, that you know, Corlin Sutton might be a guy who ends up going too high for me. Um, but, you know, looking at these stacks and looking at offenses, I, I expect to progress this year. Um, will give me some targets that I can get later in the, uh, in, in the draft, especially some of those Rams. Um, you know, so if I end up with, uh, with, you know, three wide receivers and they end up looking like, you know, uh, Oh, I don't know. Um, Cooper Cup and Sterling Shepard and, um, you know, Terry McLaurin or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm very happy with those wide receivers, but I don't have to spend a lot of draft capital on them. I could see those guys going a little bit later in these drafts to where I, uh, I, I you know, I don't have to spend premium capital on them, but I can see them all performing at wide receiver two levels if everything goes right. So um, that's kind of my strategy as far as wide receiver goes. What about you, John? Yep. Definitely agree with that too. Um, you know, just to kind of add to it, I suppose, um, because I don't, I don't have any real adjustments to make there, but, uh, and in fact, I love the, the stack approach to me, that's like the quickest way, um, to, you know, to bring together a wide receiving core, um, uh, that's going to help you compete right away is, uh, to, you know, to double dip with the quarterback like that. And I think you can do that with the tight ends as well. Um, and you know, you, you brought up several, uh, you know, quarterback wide receiver combinations there that, that I absolutely love, particularly for 2020, um, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke. Those are probably my, my three biggest targets. Um, because it is, it, it's fairly easy to stack those guys. You know, the, the, the one other thing I guess to add to it is, uh, the, uh, 
for at least for me, I, I don't like to have a lot of wide receivers. I don't think that you need a lot of wide receivers. You know, first of all, I think they're fairly easy to find. Um, you know, you can you can find guys even on waivers. You know, Auden Tate ended up being like not only was he, you know, pretty usable for a lot of the 2019 season. I, I mean, I, I think there's a good chance that Auden Tate has a pretty significant role in this, you know, Zach Taylor's Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow offense in 2020. You know, assuming that AJ Green leaves, all of a sudden you're big bodied, you know, outside wide receivers on Tate. He's kind of your jump ball guy. He's, you know, he 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 really kind of fills some roles of both AJ Green and Tyler Eifert, both of which you're very likely to lose here in 20 in the offseason of 2020. So, you know, you 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 can find guys like Auden Tate on waivers if you need to. Um, you know, DJ Chart came off of waivers. Uh, Debo Samuel probably got drafted um, in a lot of rookie drafts, uh, but you know, and you're one of a startup, it, it's very possible that you found Debo Samuel on waivers, um, or, or you know, at least extremely cheap in your rookie draft. Hey, you know, there there are just so many of those guys who have kind of the breakouts every single year yeah you're right and and you know you know what it is john a a lot of it is the passing game is so prevalent and there's so many receivers on the field you know so a lot of times people are looking at matchups and they're not looking to their best receiver their you know most talented guy what they're looking at is okay who's got the matchup oh this you know my my wide receiver three does you know and so you can see that there's just more receivers that are putting up similar numbers um you know i i think the, the difference between uh, a high-end wide receiver two and a low-end wide receiver three um, has has drastically narrowed. Uh, so I think I think when you look at that, you, you go, okay, well, these guys are just more replaceable. Like you said, there's more guys that are involved in the passing game now than there has been, and those numbers are very similar. You know, they're, they're closer together than I think they have been. So uh, to me, it, it's it's – like you said, it's easier to fill. It's easier to find those guys, especially on waivers. You know, I mean, you can you can find guys on waivers. Heck, Terry McLaurin was a guy who was probably a waiver guy. You know, unless he went real late in rookie drafts, depending on you know how many rounds you have. Terry McLaurin wasn't drafted in a lot of them. You know, he was a guy who was probably found week one on you know on the waivers or week two. You know, so uh, yeah. it, really, there's there's a lot of interesting guys. There always is every year, and and we could sit here and point to to who they are if we really, you know, went team by team, you know, Devontae Parker, Preston Will, uh, Williams. I mean, these are all guys that were left for dead that, uh, that you know, could have helped your fantasy team. So uh, I think that's just it. I think you nailed it. You don't need a lot because you can find them on the waiver wire. So, um, and, yeah. And, and once you find them, you've got them like they, they, they don't go away within three years. Typically, you know, they, mm-hmm. they hold their value for a while. So, you know, and and they don't get hurt nearly as much as as the running back position. I mean, I know that these guys, you know, we still had some significant wide receiver injuries and some missed time, um, but you know, it, it just kind of the nature of of their job of their position. They don't get hurt as much as the running backs do. They don't get, you know, it's it's they're not out as long when they do miss time. Generally speaking, so you know that you you're you're really pretty safe kind of rubber stamping some of these guys um you know for the most part like there there were definitely examples of guys who didn't pan out in 2019 juju smith schuster kind of comes to mind odell beckham jr 
but you know, if you, if you had Deandre Hopkins or you have Michael Thomas, you know, and, and these guys, they were high draft picks uh, going into 2019 and you got to just rubber stamp those guys every single week. So you didn't need a bunch of depth at, at wide receiver. I mean, you're kind of, you're only replacing those guys, you know, on their, on their bye weeks, essentially. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll miss a game or two and you've got to find a replacement, but you can typically do it fairly easily off of waivers, you know, just kind of as needed, just use the waivers as an extension of your bench. Um, but generally speaking, you can just kind of set it and forget it with the wide receivers, which, you know, kind of, which gives you the opportunity to go lean at wide receiver, just get, you know, kind of the bare minimum to make sure that you've got your starting positions filled at all times. And, you know, it leaves you the rest of your bench to load up with, you know, quarterbacks for trade bait and running backs because you just, you need so many of them to get through the season and you need the ability to go on waivers and pick up, you know, Bo Scarborough when he becomes the starter in Detroit or, uh, you know, Patrick Laird or, you know, some of the other, some of these other running backs who kind of popped late, you know, you, you, you can go pick them up as, as needed. Um, and you've got the roster space to do it because you're efficient at wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I think we're on the same page there. John, is there anything specific that you do at tight end? I kind of already shared uh, that I, I don't, I don't really value the position very much. Um, I can find some later guys that, uh, you know, uh, that, that I feel comfortable with. As long as I have a guy that I feel comfortable trotting out there, I, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, is there any, do you do anything special as far as tight ends go? Um, this is a, this is definitely one that's kind of two-sided, I think. Um, I think we can represent both sides here. So first of all, it, we, we know that there's such a huge difference between the elite tier and everybody else. So, you know, you, if you get George Kittle or Travis Kelsey early, you know, it, it, it creates an advantage that you can have over the rest of your league. That's far greater than, you know, having uh, Deandre Hopkins or Michael Thomas, for instance. So there's definitely something to be said for going, you know, with a tight end um, fairly early, go get George Kittle instead of taking a wide receiver one. Um, you could get George Kittle, and first of all, you've got that position locked up for a while. Second, you've got a, a an advantage over essentially every team that you're going to come up against. And third, I mean, it also gives you the opportunity to later in the draft go hunting for, you know, the breakout guys, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller. Um, you know, go try and find those guys, and then you can flex one of them. Um, the same way that you would with a high-end wide receiver one. You flex George Kittle, put D Darren Waller at, at your starting tight end spot. And now you've got a, 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 an advantage at two, at two positions. So there's definitely something to be said there. Um, but generally, I, I agree with you. Because of the fact that George Kittle creates such a huge advantage over everybody else, if I just wait and try and find Darren Waller or, or try and find Mark Andrews kind of later in the draft or even better, you know, just stack my tight end with, with that wide receiver quarterback combination. You know, I've got Drew Locke, I've got Cortland Sutton. Now I add Noah Fant and, you know, at the absolute worst, 
I am on equal playing field with every other team in the league, every team that I go up against. I've got the exact same tight end situation as everybody else, uh, you know, except uh-huh. for the one guy who has George Kittle and or the one player who has George Kittle and the one player who has Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And that's just it. You know, if, if someone's taking Kittle or Kelsey, um, they're going to have an advantage over you at that position. You just have to hope to make it up elsewhere. Hopefully wh- what you're taking, whether it's quarterback, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably taking a quarterback there um, and they're taking a tight end. Hopefully, the difference that I have at quarterback is going to make up for that, you know? So there, there is definitely an argument to be said that if you're going to, to take a tight end, take one of the top guys, but after that, it's pretty much everybody's kind of at a disadvantage because you just don't know what you're getting week to week at that tight end position. Um, but I, I will say this. I do think that there's something to be said, like you said earlier, stacking. Um, and, and if you want to pay for a younger guy. So if you want to go a little bit earlier on tight end, like you want to spend a fifth, sixth round pick, on a guy like Noah Fant or, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson, guys that you really um, buy their talent and you think they're going to be a top five tight end and you can stack them with a Drew Locke or, you know, if you get Stafford later, you know, that that might work. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, with doing that if that's going to be your your approach there and you're really high on them and think that they're going to be a mismatch like a like a Kittle is now, you know, in the next few years. And I'm, I'm good with that. I, I just uh, personally, I think, I can I can wait on tight end. I could get a few different options that uh, later in the draft, and as long as one of them is you know a top twelve tight end, I think I'll be okay. It's not very hard to get a top twelve tight end um, just because of the way that they finish. So yeah, that's that's basically it for me as far as that goes, John. Yeah, I man, we covered a lot of ground in a fairly short amount of time. Uh, I I guess uh, so. I am curious though. Um, because I mean, I feel like we did a pretty good, re- uh, a, a pretty good job here of representing, you know, quarterback early, quarterback late, uh, running back early, running back late, uh, wide receiver early, wide receiver late, tight end early, tight end late. Is there any approach? Um, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, to me, the one approach that I don't think I could say anything nice about is honestly just kind of a balanced approach, trying to put together a balanced roster with, you know, um, just kind of, just kind of top to bottom. I've, I've got, uh, you know, essentially, um, the best player available at each position and, and just, you know, go into the draft saying, all right, I'm going to take a quarterback or I'm going to take a running back in the first round. And then it's going to come back to me and I'm going to take a wide receiver and then maybe I'll take another running back. And then I'll finally take my first quarterback. Um, you know, first of all, th- that that kind of rigid plan. But second of all, just the idea that I'm going to be able to put together this, you know, balanced roster in year one. That's kind of the only approach that I don't feel like I could advocate for. I feel like it it's just not going to play out that way. I feel like it's going to put you in a bad position, um, you know, as early as year one, honestly, but certainly by year two. Um, you're, it, it, it's the fastest way to, uh, to put yourself in a rebuild situation without a whole lot of, you know, trade value, uh, to, to help you rebuild. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any of those approaches that you just like, I, I can't say anything nice about this. Yeah, this might surprise you coming from me, but one of the, one of the strategies I see 
is the the youth movement strategy you know the the load up on rookies or rookie picks load up on younger talent and uh you know even if you have to reach just take the younger guy over you know the aging veteran and have a roster full of young guys you know and and look and go i don't have anybody over 25 on my roster well that that's great but um the problem is that you valued youth almost more than talent and normally that just means that you're not going to be competing for a little bit. And, and you know, you got to hope that all these players work out. You know, a lot of them do. And there's a lot of uncertainty there, um, you know, with a lot of young players. There's there's a lot of risk. They, you know, there's not a huge track record for guys like that. So uh, typically that that to me is a strategy that I just won't implore because it, it's too dangerous. To me, I think you have to have some some veteran leadership on your team um, just because of the stability that that brings. You know, you have a little bit more, um, you know, there, there's more information. You were able to make a, an informed decision based off of a seven year career thus far, um, as opposed to, you know, one or two years. Uh, and, and you just don't know banking on upside, especially later, uh, you know, when you're, when you're past the first four or five rounds of younger guys who have, you know, given proven production, now you're grabbing younger guys who haven't done it. That's why they're not, you know, top picks. Um, so there's a lot of risk in that, in that strategy. And to me, that's not one that I think I could implore or, or advise anyone to, to implore. Sometimes it's okay to take that, that, that guy who's falling because he's, he's a little older. He's 29, he's 30. You could do that, especially at the quarterback and the wide receiver position, even tight end, um, running back that might be a little harder on, but, um, you know, basically, I think, uh, I think sometimes we look at age and overvalue the youth a little bit more than, uh, than maybe we should. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, just to kind of uh, put a, a little bit of an accent on that, um, two guys, Christian Kirk and Michael Gallup both have uh, higher ADPs in the, the latest, uh, the January 2020 um, Superflex ADP than Adam Thielen. Like that, that kind of illustrates what you're talking about. That, there's a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of potential there that has not been realized. Uh, whereas Adam Thielen has proven to be, um, you know, very solid. And uh, you're, you're not gonna, uh, you know, you, you know that Adam Thielen isn't going to wreck your season the way, the way Michael Gallup potentially could, the way Christian Kirk potentially could. You know, Anthony Miller was valued very highly coming into this year, too. And he uh, he really struggled, especially early in the year. So there's that youth, man. I mean, you just don't know. You expect a player to build on a year. And if they don't, then it really could hurt you, especially if you have youth all over the place, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Kind of the one other thing that I think I would uh, I, I would have a hard time advocating for is drafting rookie picks very heavily. Um, I, I certainly don't like the value of a lot of the rookie picks. Um, kind of when you get to the the middle and late first round, I think the values are fine. Um, but 1.01, for instance, going uh, with the 10th the overall pick of the third round, um, going at 310 uh, ahead of um, uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> assholes. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, um, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, Jared Goff, uh, Cam Newton. Um, you know, that, that, that it's not horrible, it, horrible value, but it's going to be really tough 
it, kind of what the rookie picks do. They kind of create this illusion, right, of of having this like range of outcomes. You know, it, it could be Joe Burrow, it could be Tua, it could be DeAndre Swift, it could be Jerry Judy, it could be Ceedee Lamb, it could be Jonathan Taylor, it could be J.K. Dobbins, it could be any of those guys, and that's somewhat true. But at some point, it's going to have an actual name, like it's going to. Um, you know, these guys are going to get drafted on the NFL teams and then it's not going to have that same ra- range of outcomes anymore. They're going to force your hand. It's going to be Joe Burrow just went to the, the Zach Taylor offense. He's going to be throwing the ball to Tyler Boyd and Auden Tate and, you know, whoever else, maybe they bring somebody in, maybe they, um, they re-sign AJ Green. He's going to be handing off to Joe Mixon. He's going to be working behind this you know, this enhanced offensive line and it's going to be, there's, there's, there's no way around it. Even if you have, you're deficient at running back, you still have to take Joe Burrow. He's just that he's the pick, you know? So for me, I, I, I don't like taking rookie picks early um, just because, you know, you, you, kind of the idea is you're going to use that pick later to fill in some holes and it just generally doesn't work out that way. It it still forces your hand. Even if it, even if quarterback is a position of strength for you, you're still going to end up taking Joe Burrow with that first pick and then hoping to trade. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you, John. I agree with you. I think, uh, I think we're on the same page this episode. Nice. All right. That was, uh, that was actually pretty easy. Um, we're definitely over time, but, uh, I, we got to a lot of stuff, a lot of really good stuff and, uh, yeah, Super Bowl time. Um, we, let's just, uh, jump back to that for just a quick second, James, who wins this Super Bowl? I'm, I'm going online as, as saying it's, it's Kansas city, but I will say at the beginning of the year, before the uh, the season started, I did predict a Kansas City New Orleans Super Bowl with Kansas City winning it. So I'm a little biased just because I kind of want to be right on the winner because uh, that would make two years in a row that I, I, I nailed the winner in the preseason. So uh, maybe I'm on to something here. So, uh, but no, I, I also I think Andy Reid deserves a ring, and um, I like both these teams. I really do. I wouldn't be disappointed. I think it's going to be a fun game, um, but I really would like to see Andy Reid get a ring, and I think. Patrick Mahomes getting a ring this early in his career uh, just is going to do even more for him if he can make it happen. So um, I'm I'm saying the Chiefs win. What about you, John? Uh, I as a as a Broncos fan, where the the Kansas City Chiefs are among um, our uh, our biggest rivals, I cannot I can't root for the Chiefs. Um, I can't uh, I can't predict a, a Chiefs victory. I just can't even fathom that happening. So. Um, so I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers, but yeah, if Kansas city gets it done, it's the first of many. Um, I would just hate to see it, but <laughs> it, it sounded like you were going to, um, chastise me for that one somehow. No, not at all. As a matter <laughs> of fact, I totally understand it. If anybody in the AFC North was in this, I'd be rooting for the NFC. So I, I get it. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well with that, we're going to wrap it up for the week though. As we do, we're going to ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed. Get access to all the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help the super show to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at Superflex Show. Even better, send them to any one of us individually. James is at underscore James the Brain. I'm at Superflex Dude. And send it to any of the co-hosts of the Superflex Show, and we can retweet them for you. Help you get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast and analyze them for you. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song Me Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.